You're listening to the Grace City Boston podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at gracecityboston.com or follow us on social media at Grace City Boston. Now, let's get to the sermon. Uh, if I haven't met you uh, and you weren't here earlier, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at uh, Grace City, and so thanks for being here. Uh, we're uh, in week three of a series uh, entitled Colossians, and, and really what we're doing, I mean, it's super creative, but we're just walking through uh, the book of Colossians, and so uh, essentially kind of coming and rallying around uh, one of these kind of early church uh, letters that was written by a guy named uh, Paul. And so uh, I won't summarize the last two weeks, but basically uh, week one, we looked at uh, really this idea of, of Paul saying, hey, th- this is the reason I'm really thankful for you. This is what I'm seeing is being produced in you. Uh, I'm seeing your faithfulness as a church. And so I just want to commend you uh, in that sense. And so a lot of Paul's letters that you read in the New Testament actually start in a very uh, similar way. He is going to write and encourage them and say, hey, this is what I'm seeing uh, work well. Uh, among you, and this is the faithfulness I'm seeing being produced in you by following the way of Jesus, uh, while at the same time uh, uh, looking at and addressing the, um, the the issues that were existing in the early church. And so they, in a similar way that we do, uh, struggle with um, cultural issues. They're, they're all trying to figure out, okay, um, we know Jesus, we understand the teachings of Jesus. How does that fit in our kind of cultural day, cultural moment? Uh, what did Jesus have to say about these particular things? And a lot of the, the letters that you see in the New Testament are actually Paul as this really bright, insightful, intelligent, empowered by the Holy Spirit, early church Christian leader helping them kind of navigate some of these cultural issues, helping them navigate the, the tensions and the divisions that they're feeling inside of, uh, inside of the church. And so last week, week one was kind of like, hey, here's what I'm thankful for. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's kind of the realities of, of, of God's people. Last week, we looked at really this kind of ancient Christian hymn that Paul, uh, if, if, if you... Um, enjoy music or you're a musician or, or, or what if you're an artist, you know, um, you can really appreciate before kind of Paul gets into the depth of the letter that's going to talk a lot about Christian maturity uh, and those types of things. Before he gets into the depth of that letter, um, he's essentially going to break out in a, a, a hymn, in a worship song. And the the all, this whole kind of song and hymn that we see, uh, starting in Colossians 1.15, is a simply kind of this hymn, this really deep, theologically robust, complex hymn about who Jesus is. And he just says, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus looked like. These are the implications of Jesus. And so it's just really beautiful hymn. You can go back and read it or, or look into uh, last week. And so um, this morning, uh, we're going to be starting in verse uh, 24. So Colossians 1, uh, starting in verse 24, and then we're going to go into uh, 2. So here's the three things we're going to be looking at this morning, just kind of give you on the front end so that you have it. Uh, the first thing we're going to look at is Paul's um, perspective when it comes to suffering. So it will be a really kind of insightful look at when Paul is experiencing suffering as a result of his faith, how does he not only view that, but how does he respond in the midst of that suffering? The second thing that we're going to see is Paul is going to talk about kind of this deep Jewish thought uh, of, of the mystery of God. So there's kind of existing in this time period, this um, secret knowledge of God that will be revealed. The plans of God will be revealed 
And Paul is actually going to talk about this revealing of plans as it comes to, not surprisingly, in the person of Jesus and how Jesus is the revelation of this plan. Uh, and then the third thing, and we won't spend a ton of time there because we'll look at it in the next few weeks, is he's going to introduce this idea of Christian maturity. What does actual Christian maturity look like and how should it affect the way that we live? So let's look at it. Colossians 1, if you have a Bible, uh, verse 24, and uh, we'll look at, uh, let's see, we'll look at 24 um, through 25 to start our time together. So this is what Paul uh, says at the beginning of the section, really fascinating and confusing passage as well. Verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I'm complete, uh, completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. Now he's going to identify Christ's body, that is the church. That's going to be key. Verse 25, I have become its servant, the church's servant, according to God's commission that was given to me uh, for you to make the word of God fully known. Okay, so two things here that stick out immediately. The first thing is that Paul says he's going to rejoice in his sufferings. The second thing that he says is that he says that he is completing in his flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the church. So let's take this in two parts. The first thing that, that Paul says is he's going to rejoice as he experiences suffering on behalf of his faith. He's going to experience suffering on behalf of his faith, and he's going to say that he's going to rejoice. So if you're looking at that, if you're anything like me and you're looking at that, I kind of look at that and think, okay, rejoice in suffering like, surely, Paul, maybe there's like a translation error there, right? <laughs> like, maybe, surely, Paul meant, I'm going to be disappointed in my suffering. I'm going to respond in anger to my suffering. I'm going to respond in confusion to my suffering. Like, if I'm suffering as a result of my faith following God, then when that suffering happens, I'm going to experience uh, uh, anger, at God because of my suffering, right? Because I'm suffering as a result of trying to faithfully live the way of Jesus. And so therefore, why in the world should I be suffering if I'm seeking to live obediently to God? That makes no sense. If I'm trying to follow the way of Jesus, like shouldn't life be lining up for me? Like shouldn't I experience a, a type of, of flourishing on, on earth that only happens with Jesus? Like why am I experiencing suffering? And Paul says, no, I'm seeing my suffering, because it's fascinating. He's, he says, I'm, I'm seeing my suffering, and I'm rejoicing in it. Now, what would make Paul rejoice in the sufferings that he's experiencing as a result of his faith? Well, look at the second part here, because he's going to answer the question um, in verse 24. But it's confusing. He says, I am completing, so I'm, I'm suffering, I'm rejoicing in my suffering for the church, because I am completing in my flesh, in my body, what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body that is the church, and I have become its servant. Now, what is Paul saying here? Is Paul saying that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is somehow lacking? That the crucifixion right, of Jesus, that, that he died at the hands of the Roman government and the religious leaders— was somehow incomplete. That Jesus kind of started a type of redemptive work that brings us into relationship with the Father. 
that now God is calling his people to complete that kind of suffering and affliction so that we can experience redemption with the fathers. That's what he's saying. No, it's not what he's saying. He's not saying that Jesus's crucifixion and his suffering and his resurrection is lacking in that sense. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was enough to secure your relationship with the Father completely. Done. We are brothers and sisters, co-heirs with Jesus as a result of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus' completed work. He's done it. So what is Paul talking about when he says, I'm filling up in the afflictions of Jesus, what is lacking for the church? Well, this is um, this is essentially what uh, what we believe he's saying in, in um what would make sense in the context of what he's talking about. Essentially saying this, Jesus isn't here. He's not here. He, he's gone. The letter was written around somewhere 61 to 62 AD. And so Paul is saying Jesus isn't here. Now remember the audience that Jesus is writing to, a remnant of, of um, Jewish Christians now. So that's one audience. The second audience is uh, kind of God-fearing Gentiles. So people who would have been God worshipers in that sense, but not, not a Jewish people, didn't have the promises that were given to the Israelites. And then the third group are just pagan, pagan worshiping Gentiles. So those who are bringing all this in. And, and so what Paul is now saying is that you didn't see, the, the majority of the church, he's like, hey, you didn't see Jesus. You didn't see the crucifixion of Jesus. You didn't see the suffering of Jesus. And so what he's saying is, therefore, since you haven't seen the, the crucified Jesus, the Jesus uh, experiencing affliction, look at me. Look at us. What he's essentially saying is that when we experience sufferings, tribulation, and difficulty as a result of our faith, right? So not as a result of being a jerk, uh, of being really unkind and being, you know, all of these maybe other things of being hypocritical and duplicity. Like, he, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you're experiencing suffering as a result of, fa of trying to, to faithfully live the way of Jesus, then he said, you should rejoice in that. That's what Paul says. I'm rejoicing in this because now I have a moment to share in the affliction of Jesus, now, I have a, a, an opportunity and a moment to say, although you couldn't see Jesus, look at me. Now, I'm in, imperfect, right? Fallen individual, one saved by Jesus, but I am helping to fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Jesus in the sense that his presence isn't here. So he's saying, when I suffer, and he's in jail at this point when he's writing this letter. So Paul gets it. Paul understands tribulation and trial and suffering. So he says, when I'm experiencing these things, I'm rejoicing in the fact that I can come alongside the suffering and the affliction of Jesus and experience it with him. That I can experience it with him. That I have that opportunity uh, when I'm doing that. Jesus, um, well, let me, John Piper states it this way, uh, talking about this idea of um, filling up in the affliction of what's lacking. He says this, that God really means for the body of Christ, the church, to experience some of the suffering that he experienced so that when we offer the Christ of the cross to people, they see the Christ of the cross in us. That when we say that God is beautiful, right, and good, that Jesus is truth, that Jesus provides purpose and identity, 
That when we say that in our circumstances, right, can be lacking, difficulty, persecution, confusion, that even though our circumstances would say otherwise, that we have an opportunity in the midst of our circumstances to still say that God is beautiful, true, and right. Even when our circumstances don't lend themselves to believing that is beautiful, right, and true. And so he says we have an opportunity as a church, as a people, to step into um, this way. Jesus, in Mark chapter 8, I think this speaks towards what Jesus is saying here. Mark chapter 8, verse 35, listen to what Jesus said to his followers. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. So if you want to save your life, now he, he's, he's uh, essentially saying like, if you want to um, preserve your life, protect your life, he says you'll lose it. But whoever, there's a conjunction, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Now this follows the verse where he says, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself pick up his cross and follow me. If you want to be my disciple, then this is the, 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 the way in which you are to live as a people following me, is to, to live this type of life, to be one who loses your life so the fact that you could save it. The point is that when you take the gospel to people, whether it's to the office, to the dorm, across the ocean, whatever it looks like, it on the, with regularity, will require of you, uh, will require of you um, hardship, difficulty, and suffering. It will require of you sacrifice to live the way of Jesus. You can't follow Jesus and not experience a type of difficulty that comes from daily saying no to self and saying yes to Jesus. So he says, I'm rejoicing in what is filling up because now I'm participating with Jesus in his suffering, in his obedience, in following the Father. This is what I'm doing. Think about this for a second. Think about this idea of the, how we got to where we are um, in Boston in 2022. Um, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2, 18 and 20. Look what Paul says. He's talking about the building up of our faith. He says this, uh, for through him, through Jesus, we, Jews and Gentiles, he says, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, verse 19, so then, uh, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints, we've talked about this verse before, fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household together, look at verse 20, now look, here's the kind of the hinge point here, verse 20. This members of God's household is built on what? It says built on the foundation of the saints and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Okay, so we have this kind of building metaphor and Paul says the household of God, the faith that we have now was built upon what? The foundation is built upon who? The prophets and the apostles. Now, what do we know about the prophets and the apostles? Like if you read the story of the prophets in the Old Testament, if you go to the prophets in the Old Testament, here's what you'll find quite frequently. 
They have a type of clarity that comes from being in relationship with God. They're the mouthpiece of God, are they not? This is what they are. They're a prophet. So they're speaking on behalf of God to God's people. And here's what you find almost every time. They speak the words of God and they experience, as a result of speaking the words of God, they experience a tremendous amount of hardship, a tremendous amount of difficulty. Like so much so that there's like stories of the prophets that are like, God, just kill me now. And you're like, you're, wait, you're hearing from God. You're, you're the mouthpiece of God to the people. Like you have a clear identity, path, calling, and commissioning. And yet because of the difficulty that you're experiencing, you're saying, God, kill me now. Go to the apostles. Go to the apostles. Like incredible leaders in the early church. Paul and Peter and, and Barnabas and James. And what do we see? Paul, well, Paul's writing this letter from jail. Peter, what we know about Peter, he's, cr he's crucified upside down. Every early follower of Jesus, every apostle of Jesus lost his life. But John, who was sent on the Isle of Patmos, right? Which is like an extrovert's death, might as well be. No one, hear this. No one, if it came down to it, wants the ministry of the prophet's and the apostles, no one. I don't want Paul's ministry. I like my freedom. I don't, I don't want the ministry of the prophets. But this is what we see as the, the foundation point of the building of the church. Now, Paul also says what? He says this building that we are now experiencing and that we're a part of, the, the cornerstone, the foundation, the thing that keeps this all together is who? It's Jesus. Now, we don't, we don't have to get into the ministry of Jesus. We talk about it a lot. But we follow Jesus and just celebrate at Easter Jesus because he, what? He was resurrected from a Roman torture device, innocently arrested and beaten. This is the, the life of those who follow Jesus. And so Paul says, when we get experiencing the, the, the suffering and the difficulty, we can rejoice because we're participating with Jesus. We're moving into it uh, with Jesus. We see this um, all throughout Scripture. Paul said, um, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 3, 4, uh, he says, in fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction. And as you know, it happened. 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 11 says, we always carry the death of Jesus in our body. So that, so why do we carry the death of Jesus in our body? So that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who, uh, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. Uh, Tertullian, who was a um, early church leader in the second century from North Africa, this is an incredible quote. It's incredible in one sense and not so incredible in another sense. But he basically said, to summarize, he, he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seeds of the church. That the blood of the martyrs is the seeds of the gospel. 
Because what they were finding in the early church is that the more that you persecuted the church, the more that you came against men and women who were following the way of Jesus, the more that you killed them and tortured them and beat them, the more the way of Jesus seemed to continue to move forward. See that? Participation in the affliction of Jesus. Not condemnation, participation in the affliction of Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting, because I read this through my eyes, right? This would have been, because Paul's saying, I'm a leader. I've been given a commission to take this word forward. We're going to look at that commission in a second. But he's saying, I'm a leader in the Christian church to take this message forward to the church. So he's a Christian leader. And in this kind of posture towards suffering and this embracing of suffering and difficulty would have been an indictment against the religious leaders of Paul's day. Right, if you know, like the religious leaders of the day were affluent, they had prestige and posture, they were up here and everyone else was down here. This was uh, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Now let's fast forward to 2022. And I read Colossians 1, 25. I see Paul's um, statement about rejoicing in his suffering, embracing the suffering, seeing, seeing suffering as a way to um, image Jesus to the people around him, I, I see that as a direct indictment to the religious leaders of our day. The church, those leading the church, participating in the church, were not meant to be a people who were pursuing affluence and popularity, cultural relevance. Like, how is that going for the churches that, that are embracing a type of um, Christianity in a, in a movement in which we're seeing kind of this, this downfall, a lot of that, all over the world. Paul says, no, we embrace our suffering, our difficulty. We see this as an opportunity to step into this with Jesus. Here's what I found. I've actually found that self-preservation and self-protection Almost always, hear this, I want to be very clear about this. Self-preservation and self-protection almost always leads to sin. Now, think about it this way. When I say self-preservation and self-protection, I, um, I don't mean Sabbath. I don't mean being emotionally healthy. I don't mean having a right rhythm in your life. Like, those are all very important things. Those are all things that we should be embracing as the way of Jesus. If you're going to stick this thing out in the long haul, you should be doing that. Here's what I mean by self-preservation and self-protection almost always leads to sin. Say you're experiencing a type of persecution as a result of your faith at your work, at school, and you're feeling isolated because you're not participating in the conversations of your coworkers, or you're not participating in the social life of your coworkers. So you are now experiencing a type of difficulty a type of isolation as a result of your faith. Self-preservation and self-protection would tell you to do what? Step into it with them. Step into the conversation with them, although you know you probably shouldn't. Go do the thing with them, although you know it won't go well for you. That's self-preservation and self-protection. Anytime, as I'm surveying my life, and this one I want you to survey your life, Almost any time I'm experiencing um, difficulty as a result of my faith, I have one of two options. 
I can try to escape that suffering as a result of self-preservation and self-protection, and it almost always leads to sin. Or I can see that suffering, difficulty, and tribulation as an opportunity to share in the suffering, tribulation of Jesus. These are the options in front of us. And Paul says, I'm going to embrace it because it's leading to somewhere. Okay, look on down. Look down to verse 25. Uh, Colossians 1, 25 and 27. I got to move fast. This is what he says. Uh, I have become its servant uh, according to God's commission, talking about the church. I've become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Verse 26. Now here he's going to talk about it. He says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints, God wanted to make known among you, the Gentiles, the glorious wealth of this mystery, and then he's gonna identify the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so Paul says, again, posture here. He says, I'm a servant of the church. I'm, I'm serving the church. This is the commission that has been uh, given to me to make the word of God known. Now, this is not like, uh, this is not simply the Bible, Paul. Um, the, the Bible wasn't canonized till way past this, around the 300s or so. Uh, this was written around 61 to 60 AD. And so um, Paul is not primarily, he, like Paul wasn't writing letters thinking like, oh, everyone's going to gather around in Boston in 2022 and read everything that I put together, right? That came later. So Paul is thinking about, yes, he's thinking about the Torah. He's thinking about the Old Testament. He's considering those things. But to a Jewish uh, author, the word of God is what all things were created by. So it's this all-encompassing all, all power of God. He says, I've been commissioned to take this word of God, this message of God, this message of Jesus to all people. And he's going to say, something has now been revealed that's been hidden. Now, for the Jewish um, for the Jewish people, there was kind of this thought and idea that there was this um, secret plans of God that would one day be revealed. That God was one day going to reveal these kind of secret plans uh, to the people. Now, it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. And then there was also this thought that um, in the Old Testament that the secret kind of wisdom of God is only given to those who are wise. It's only going to be given to those who are wise. Okay, so follow the train of thought here from Old Testament kind of Jewish thought to now into the New Testament. This will not surprise us that Paul's going to say this mystery that's been hidden from ages has now been revealed. And this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Christ and you, although we live that way sometimes. Christ inside of you, in you, the hope of glory. And so he's going to say that this revealing that has come to the Gentiles is actually now available to all people. This thing that we've been working towards is, is um, open, uh, is, is kind of open now to um, all people. There's this kind of uh, universal publication of the mystery that, that really now makes Christianity disagreeable to anyone that would say um, there's this kind of elite spiritual knowledge. Paul's saying, no, 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 there's not an elite group with spiritual knowledge. It's been given to all people, regardless um, of their background, regardless of their race, their class, their gender, their intellect, their past virtue, their age. Like all people now can uh, apprehend what it means to follow Jesus. 
what it means to be in relationship with God through Jesus that's available to um, all of us. Matthew 13, 17, listen what Jesus said. He says, for truly I tell you that many prophets and righteous people long to see the things that you see but didn't see them and to hear the things that you hear but didn't hear them. So Jesus is talking to his followers. Galatians 3.8, Paul is going to say that Abraham got a preview of this mystery. He says this, Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. All the nations. Hebrews 1.1 says that the prophets, they, they got a glimpse of this, like Abraham got a preview of it. He says this, not, uh, long, uh, not long ago, God spoke to the, the ancestors by the prophets if it, at different times and in different ways. Peter, in 1 Peter 1.10, he says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. So Paul says that the, the, the apostles now were living in a time of, um, of, of fulfillment, of revealing. So think about this for a moment. A, um, Noah, let's go through all the kind of the, the, you know, the Old Testament kind of heroes, right? All the Christian Bible stories, right? So we have Noah, we have Abraham, we have um Joseph, we have Isaac, we have David, we have Solomon. Go through the prophets. Think about all of these prophets that, that were there. All of these people. Think about this moment for a second. It's huge. All of these early men and women could not imagine, could, could not comprehend with their mind the type of access that we have to God through Jesus. Like they longed, I want you to hear this, they longed for the access to God that you and I have. Like they got glimpses of it along the way. They got like pieces of it along the way. But they longed for the intimacy and the access that we have to God through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit unimaginable to them and now given think about that now given to us Christ in you hope of glory wherever you go wherever you live whatever you participate in whatever is going on around you Christ in you the hope of glory Paul says this is the mystery that has been revealed that has been hidden from ages that is Christ in you hope of glory. Now, this would have been shocking to a Jewish audience, scandalous to a Jewish audience, that they never, they never saw it. This is why, this is why Paul talks about it. And a lot of times, um, he, cause he's going to allude to it. Uh, I won't read it when I have time, but in Romans 16, he alludes to this idea that a mystery has been revealed. That's been kept for long ages as well. Um, that, that was there. And it's essentially just like this idea that, um, that, God is here and now present through Jesus, um, now through the Holy Spirit to a people uh, of, of the nations. That this gospel is not for a people, not for a specific people, but for peoples all over the world. 
this was the mystery that has now been revealed. Kitty Ferguson says this, this idea that we have access. She, she's a science writer. She actually wrote the majority of Stephen Hawking's um, biographies. Uh, but this is fascinating. She said, to find that the experience of God reported by a rocket scientist or a saint may to a significant degree be consistent with the experience of God reported by a, a, a illiterate farm laborer, a punk rocker, or Miss America is jarring to our sense of the appropriateness of things. Does it make sense to a watching world that people all over the spectrum from rocket scientists to farmer, illiterate farmer, can have the same experience with the God of the universe. And Paul says, yes. Yes, that the walls have now been broken down. Okay, let's kick down. 28, uh, starting in verse 28, two through five. And uh, we won't spend a lot of time here. This is what we'll look at the next few weeks together. But I want to finish out here. This is what he says. Uh, verse 28, we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in, uh, mature in Christ. So when we were planting Grace City, when we were starting, um, we were kind of looking for a kind of rallying verse that we could come around as a church together um, that, that could kind of provide a stabilizing force. And Colossians 1.28 is actually that verse. This was a verse that our team in those early days, and even now, we kind of rally around. This idea that what type of church do we want to be? We want to be a church that proclaims Jesus. That we want to warn and teach everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that everyone can be presented mature in what? In Christ. Now, maturity in Christ is not Bible knowledge. I know a whole lot of people with a whole lot of Bible knowledge with not a lot of maturity. That's not maturity in Christ. That's Bible knowledge. Maturity in Christ uh, includes a type of, of knowledge. This is what we're going to see uh, in our, our time together. It, it includes that, but it also includes a type of intimacy and closeness with the Father. It includes uh, love for neighbor, a type of self-control. This is maturity. He continues on, verse 29. He says, I labor for this striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Again, this idea of fighting, fighting against something. For I want you to know, verse 1, uh, 2, 1, for I want you to know how greatly I've been struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. Verse 2, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. I want them to know Christ. Look at verse three. Man, this, this, this verse stopped me in my tracks when I'm reading it. So he says um, in verse two, it says, knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. And in verse three, it says, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus. It says, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and and knowledge, playing off of the mystery that is being revealed is Christ in you. See that? All things Jesus. Verse 4, he says, I'm saying this. 
I'm saying this, that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. I can't think of a, a more appropriate verse for our time and day. Uh, we'll get to that. I don't have a lot of time to spend. Let me just say this. Um, arguments should always sound reasonable. Like if you're ever going to listen to an argument, it should sound reasonable, right? Like that's just logically makes sense. All right, let's move on. All right, so two, we'll get into it more. Um, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. Verse five, for I may be absent in the body, but I'm with you in spirit. I love that, man. I'm, I'm with you in spirit and closeness with you in spirit. So I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. Here's the one thing I want to talk about and just bring to our attention, and then we'll close, um, we'll close this out. Verse 28 again. He says, we proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Maturity in Christ is an expectation of all those who follow Jesus. All those who follow Jesus. It is not a choice whether to experience maturity in Christ. Like that's not like there's an expectation that all of us are seeking a type of maturity in Christ. Now that's complex. It's layered. We'll look at it in the next few weeks together. But he's saying everyone, all people should be seeking to be mature in Christ. So I don't know where you're at this morning. Uh, maybe this morning you're just kind of, you've been sitting in some difficulty as a result of your faith. And so maybe this morning, like you've been trying to get out of that. You've been trying to remove yourself from that. And perhaps you're trying to remove yourself from that in ways that wouldn't honor God. Maybe this morning you need to commit to resolve, to share in the afflictions of Jesus, to no longer see your trials and tribulations, your suffering and difficulties as something to escape, but as something to embrace so that you can share in the afflictions of Jesus. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. You're like, God, I'm sorry. I, I need to commit myself to, to that. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, okay, maturation, that's what I need. I need. I need to grow. I need to mature. Maybe this morning you just need to say to God, hey, will you help me in the next few weeks? Will you help me now to grow, mature, to look more like Jesus, to embrace that? Or maybe this morning you just need to sit in the idea, this idea, this revelation, this truth, that the mystery is Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. That no matter where you go or what you do, what you participate in or what you're experiencing, Christ is with you and for you.